to Nature Revisited, a podcast that explores our relationship with the natural world. It consists of interviews, stories, and discussions that highlight the notion that nature is not a place one goes to, but rather a place one is already a part of. If you would like to support Nature Revisited and help us to continue to invite the diverse variety of writers, activists, and creators that make Nature Revisited such a relevant and unique podcast, you can now sponsor an episode. A new incentive we now offer to businesses, organizations, and individuals who want to show their support. To learn more about this program, please visit our website, nordenproductions.com support. have Cheryl Charles back with us on the podcast. Cheryl has spent a lifetime focusing on the well-being of children, families, and communities, and their relationship to the environment that supports us all. In 2006, Cheryl co-founded the Children and Nature Network with Richard Louvre. Cheryl is an elected member of her local school board in Vermont, where she is sharing her ideas concerning children and nature with the educational process. More recently, Cheryl has been named the co-chair of the International Union for the Conservation of Nature's new program called Nature for All, a global organization that is focused on inspiring everyone to have a love for nature. Recently, I caught up with Cheryl at her Westminster home in Vermont to talk about the changes in her life, both locally and globally. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. So I'm here with Cheryl Charles. I know, and I'm glad to be talking with you again today. Thank you. So when I heard that you had left the Children in Nature Network, I was very much interested in what you were doing next. When we last talked, you mentioned that you have been doing a lot of work in your local community, helping to make things better where you live. So let's start there. What has motivated you to become more involved in a direct way with your local town and community in Vermont? And what are some of the ways that you can share with others to help them participate, such as working with school boards and other organizations? Well, that's a great question. Um, I moved to Vermont, gosh, eight, nine years ago now, after my wonderful husband of 40 years passed away. 
And as soon as my first grandchild was born, my son said, it's inevitable that you'll move here. <laughs> so he was right, and I did. And I now live a short walk through the woods away from the little, the little family. As a, as a lifelong educator, as someone who's always been concerned about children, about families, about community, and actually about the environment, and we'll get to that even more, all those things are interconnected. So when I moved to this rural area in Vermont, I started going to school board meetings because I was interested. I was interested in what was going on. And actually a number of my neighbors encouraged me to go to the school board meetings. A few of them knew a little bit about my background uh, in the field of education. And so I started to go into the meetings and I think one part of your question, how can people get involved, starts with showing up. You know, just be there. If you're interested in something, get involved. And so I began going to the school board meetings, even though new to the area, and many people obviously didn't know me at all, a group of people said, would you please run for the school board? <laughs> would you please? And I said, I don't know enough people here to have that happen. You have to get petitions signed and people need to get out and vote for you and all that kind of thing. And they said they'll help. And so this large organization of people, just all volunteers, and it started spreading the word. So I've now been on the board. This is my sixth year on the local school board. And I'm actually chair of our school board here in Westminster, Vermont, and serve on what's called a supervisory union board, where it's a number of town school districts all coming together in one region, where we collaborate on things like special education services for children or transportation, or in our case, even nutrition services, where we really have worked to use local food local growers, healthy food, and the food programs for the kids. It feels really important to me to be trying to make a contribution where I live. At the same time, I continue to work in a largely volunteer role, both nationally and internationally, all around these same themes of children, community, and the environment, the environment that supports us all. I know you have an international audience, and people may not know very much about the culture of one of the 50 states. And I will back up to say that in the educational programs that I've founded and directed with other people, I've actually worked in all 50 states, had the privilege of working with teachers and children in all the states, and to a great extent around the world in, in various settings. When I moved to Vermont, one of the things I was so struck by was the the commitment to participatory democracy, where town meetings are still held, where people come together to talk through issues, and then they'll vote. So some votes are done by what's called Australian ballot at a polling place where you go and, let's say, vote for the president or something like that. But in Vermont, it's still the case that a great many local issues are addressed in a public meeting of the registered voters in that community. And so that's the case here in Westminster. And what I was struck by was the thoughtful, respectful dialogue that occurs among people who do not agree on serious topics. So that's refreshing in itself. I mean, it's actually quite wonderful. We really do value respectful discourse. Can we talk about your involvement with Antioch University? 
and the connection between children and nature network in Antioch, your article on blooms and seed. Antioch University, New England is in Keene, New Hampshire. And when I first moved to the region, one of the advisors to the Children and Nature Network for a very long time is the educator and scholar David Sobel. And so David was the only person who I knew at Antioch, but he's been one of the leaders in supporting teachers to go outdoors with their students. He's, he's truly helped to contribute to the growth of what are referred to as nature-based preschools, nature-based kindergartens, nature-based whole schools. So because of my own interest in connecting children with nature, people of all ages with nature, but let me say that quickly for a moment, that we know the evidence, in addition to common sense, just being able to look and see that people tend to feel refreshed or they'll be more active when they're outdoors. The evidence is now so strong and clear that when children have the opportunity to learn outdoors in nature, they tend to be happier and healthier. They have, they're less stressed. Their cognitive development is enhanced, so their school grades will tend to go up. It's such a simple but powerful way to nourish children. So Antioch was well underway with those kinds of approaches. As I mentioned, David was a, an advisor for years to the Children and Nature Network. I should say quickly, the Children and Nature Network is a nonprofit organization that Richard Louvre, the author who wrote books like Last Child in the Woods, Saving Our Children from Nature Deficit Disorder, Rich and I and others founded the Children and Nature Network in 2006 really with the sole mission of making it a priority for children throughout the world to live, learn, grow, and play with nature in their, in their everyday lives. So that Antioch connection began with one of the advisors to the Children in Nature Network. And over time, I was asked if I would serve as the founding director of something called a Nature-Based Leadership Institute at Antioch, and I teach one course a year on nature-based leadership, uh, outdoors a lot. And what that is, is looking to natural systems as guiding principles in our everyday lives. I'll give you two examples. One of those is the concept of niche or niche. And that means that in nature, every organism has a contribution to make. And I translate that to our daily lives to say everyone has value, everyone can make a positive contribution. And another is the diversity uh, idea, that diversity tends to be an indicator of a healthy ecosystem. So when we think about variety in our daily lives, that, that will help us um, be respectful and enriching and all of those kinds of things. So is that some of the work that you're trying to do locally on the school board is to help the school develop well, these? Yes, and that's uh, in part because there are teachers who see the benefits uh, of getting children outdoors. It's, it's delightful. So yes, right now we are working on bringing in additional professional development opportunities for the teachers from preschool through sixth grade. 
we're taking a slightly different approach, more community-oriented for the older kids. But, but the whole premise is learning in place, you know, learning, being more connected to where you live, whether it's the natural systems that are all around us, the forests and the, the, the brooks, all of that kind of thing, or the jobs. What are the jobs in our community? And so, so schooling becomes less abstract and more real, whether it's grounded in the natural world or, as I say, you know, things like job shadowing and internships and things like that. So yes, we are working on that here locally. One other piece of that sure. actually is, uh, is the farm to school program. That's where children get involved in helping to grow their own foods. So we are doing that here where their garden produce is then put into the foods the children eat in our nutrition program. It's pretty exciting. Now, one of the things I've, I find really exciting about what you're doing is the connection between what you're doing locally and what you're doing globally. And maybe just touch again on how important that is, that connection, for you and for all of us. What we do locally really does affect us globally. Well, absolutely. I just think it's just so important to do whatever we can where we live to engage thoughtfully in conversations where we don't have the same point of view, but also to take care of the earth. I mean, that's just a fundamental part of my own life, doing our best to nourish the soil <laughs> as well as our relationships with other people. One of the groups that I work with locally is called the Living Earth Action Group. It's not really a formal nonprofit. It's just a, a group of us neighbors who gets together actually as often as weekly to talk about um, uh, something that matters to us. So we've gotten into discussions about our local beaver populations. We, we work on organic food growing. We listen to various of our farmers, you know, talking to us about what's going on and how we can each contribute to caring for uh, the environment around us. So yes, I, I just think the extent to which we can be deeply uh, and meaningfully involved where we live, with our neighbors and with the environment again all around us. That just helps to contribute to a healthy planet overall. I, I just think it is so important to take care of where we live. Who was it who talked about the um, act locally and think globally? Um, at any rate, that's, I definitely am one of those who's an advocate for that point of view. Not that I want to get into the reasons why you left the Children and Nature Network, but you did leave. Well, I didn't. I don't think I ever left. I just changed my role. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's go to Nature for All. Sure. Talk a little bit about what Nature for All is. I have a tendency throughout my career to help start organizations. I've done that numerous times uh, in my career, and I tend to stay involved in a, like, as the executive director, one of the founders, something like that, for about seven to 10 years. And so it was in 2011 that I told the board of directors of the Children and Nature Network that by 2013, I didn't want to be the executive director anymore. I wanted to help. I wanted to help with the movement worldwide to reconnect children with nature, but I didn't want to run the day-to-day -day, uh, organization. I had already been working with the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. I served on a steering committee called the uh, Commission on Education and Communications. And it was 2008 that I uh, facilitated a panel there where I, we introduced the concept of Richard Liu's book, Last Child in the Woods. 
I was talking about the disconnect of people and children, in particular around the world. And if children do not fall in love with nature, they will be less likely to care for it as adults, to be responsible uh, caregivers for the living world around us. So, so starting in 2008, the Children in Nature Network had a collaboration with IUCN and this particular commission. As the years went forward, out of that shared work came the campaign called Nature for All. So Nature for All is sponsored by the IUCN. It's sponsored by two commissions, the Commission on Education and Communication and the World Commission on Protected Areas. And now it's bloomed into a worldwide effort to have people just truly care for the earth, to fall in love with nature. And so we have got people and organizations throughout the world participating. Just one example, Nature for All, we're a partner with the Children in Nature Network in a new project called Global Lessons in Greening Schoolyards. That is, how do we have throughout the world the places where children go to school have more natural elements outdoors where children can learn. Again, for all the reasons that we've been talking about. So right now, Nature for All is collaborating with the Children in Nature Network and an organization called the International Green Schoolyards Alliance, another group called the Salzburg Forum, which speaks to the international dimension of all of this. But we're doing an inventory of what are the best practices around the world to actually bring vegetation to support learning to school grounds where that's flourishing. So that project is underway right now. And by next November, November of 2022, we'll have created uh, a plan for increasing the number of those places and spaces around the world. And it's interesting for two reasons. One, that enhanced vegetation on school grounds, wherever you are, even in desert environments, can help to mitigate climate change so it's, it's, for, it's twofold. It's good for the environment, but it's also good for children's learning. Maybe we can even talk a little bit about what is the IUCN? The IUCN, um, those letters, mean this International Union for Conservation of Nature, is uh, an international uh, organization made up of, I think, more than 160 countries are members of the IUCN. It is not technically a member of the United Nations, IUCN, but it does have a formal observer's seat at the United Nations. So there are um, connections there, all speaking to the importance of the IUCN, International Union for the Conservation of Nature, uh, its role in protecting species and habitats around the world. It is a conservation organization focused in, uh, almost entirely on keeping the planet healthy, you know, all of the species involved to the extent that it can, obviously in very challenging times. The IUCN has six commissions, all volunteer. There are more than 20,000 people who are members of the IUCN around the world. I serve on the steering committee for one of the commissions, the Commission on Education and Communication. That commission, in partnership with another commission, the World Commission on Protected Areas, 
both of those commissions sponsor the new campaign, the new initiative called Nature for All. And the purpose of Nature for All is really is to inspire people to connect with nature, to advocate for the importance of a healthy environment for everyone, and to advocate for the importance of um, people's rights to a healthy environment. And, and thirdly, to weave together people throughout the world to collaborate, to make it even more accessible and possible for people to have access to a healthy environment in their daily lives. The planet is changing, and it has changed, and we must change with it. What are some of the, the more effective ways that Nature for All has already made a difference? I think Nature for All is, is making a difference by, well, first of all, it does a variety of things. There's a website, let me um, name that. It's simply the three words, nature for all, spelled out, dot global. So you can find that, that website, natureforall.global. And there you'll find ways to get involved, You'll find something called the Discovery Zone, which is just filled with great resources for connecting people with nature. And many of them are in multiple languages because this is an international effort. You know, I, I love knowing that people throughout the world care so deeply about trying to make a positive difference. And, you know, my own focus, especially beginning with children, because immersion in nature on a regular basis helps children to thrive, to be happier, to be healthier, and to grow in positive ways. So for children's health and well-being, but actually for that of the planet itself, because the extent to which we humans of all ages are meaningfully involved with the natural world that supports us all, will be more likely to take care of it, to take care of it responsibly. And that's just needed more than ever. So let's go back to how important it is to, to be directly involved in trying to keep the, the living environment around us healthy where we live. So gardening is great, community gardens are great, but even if it's just simple uh, house plants that remind us that we're interconnected with all of other life forms, you know, it helps. Even in the medical world, there's evidence that shows that a person in a hospital situation recovering from the surgery, they will tend to do so more uh, quickly. They'll get back to good health more quickly if they have a view outside to something that's alive, growing. So medically speaking, you know, intellectually, emotionally, there are just so many benefits to all of us. And that is a, a wonderful website. It's pretty amazing. What I would like to do next is give you some of the items that are from that website and you just can just comment on them. And we'll start with Sounds of the Park. Sounds of the Park is where people literally record sounds that they hear when they're outdoors and then they share them and they tend to be, it's interesting when, when COVID first hit, I had someone in Uruguay, another part of the planet, a long way from where I am in Vermont, send me a guided meditation that he had done of natural sounds because during COVID he couldn't get out of his apartment building. And he actually shared that similarly to how you do to help other people who were gonna be so confined, not even able to hear a bird sing, for example. And that would tend to help them relax, just as one example. 
How about people of the parks? Well, those are people who uh, are committed to trying to make sure that those wild and special places around the world are kept so. Youth and nature. Oh, that the youth and nature, you're hearing me talk a lot about the importance to children's health and well-being, as well as their intellectual capacities being nourished, as well as socially. So that just speaks to the importance of connecting children with nature and the resources that help people to do that. Health and nature? I've been talking a lot about the yeah. beneficial aspects of experiences in nature for people's literal physical health and well-being. And finally, the urban nature. Well, that's important. Urban nature resources. You know, most, well, more than half of people on the planet live in urban environments now. And one of the exciting things going on is the, is the greening, uh, the wilding of cities so that asphalt's being taken out and little gardens are being put in. So there are a great many resources on the website that help people to see what can be going uh, on in city environments. We don't have to go a great distance away to a wild area to get the benefits of the natural world. It can be all around us and it needs to be all around us, nearby nature, including in cities. And like I say, that, that website is, I recommend anyone to visit natureforall.global. You asked me a question a while ago about a publication that I was asked to write, asked by Antioch University, New England, to write, and it's Seeds to Blooms. Oh, did I get it wrong? It's Seeds to Blooms. And so I was so delighted to be asked to, to do the research and to write this publication. And Seeds to Blooms has to do with the idea that Antioch is planting the seeds of nature-based early childhood in many, many places. Seeds to Blooms offers not only the history of the nature-based early childhood program at Antioch University, New England, but profiles of a number of the graduates. And so it's an inspiring little publication, easily found online and downloadable. So Nature for All is kind of helping bring us all together to inspire a, a love of nature. How best, in your view, can someone kind of help make that happen, kind of bring it all together? One of the things that I've been interested in and I've learned through the years, I've always worried about what is it that's going to have people, you know, care about other species, that we're, we're all part of nature, but the importance of everything from, you know, the, the bumblebees to the birds of prey. I mean, all these organisms matter in a healthy environment. And so one of the things I've learned is that experiences in childhood where someone takes the time to take a child outdoors and shares their love, whether it's granddad taking a little grandchild out by the hand and exploring the, the woods nearby or helping kids to plant gardens, all of those things, when that occurs in childhood, that's one of the likeliest predictors that the adult will be someone who has that ethic of care for the environment in their daily lives. So that matters. Speaking about nature for all, I think of it in terms of all people, all species, all organisms, all habitats, all cultures, you know, that again, we're all interconnected here. And those 
those meaningful experiences in childhood are really the ones that tend to contribute most to people as adults caring for the environment. Doesn't mean that any of us at any age can't have that transformative, positive experience going, wow, I feel better when I get to go for a walk, or I feel better when I feel the fresh air, I feel better when I see beauty, whether, whatever it might be. And so um, this kind of commitment to paying attention to nature in our everyday lives, not only is good for us individually and as families and as groups of people, but it's good for the environment because we'll be more likely to pay attention to it, to, to realize how interconnected uh, we all are. I'd like to make another comment. You know, it's, it's clear that I'm involved in a variety of activities. This isn't as simple an interview as we've had sometimes in the past where I was talking just about one, one area of my work. But I hope your listeners get that everything I'm working on from my family to my neighbors locally to all of these international uh, areas of work that I'm concerned about, they really all tie to the importance of creating and nourishing thriving environments for people. So it's children, it's community, and it's the environment itself that are the big themes in my life. And they all fit together from local to the international. So maybe finally, kind of give your thoughts, be brutally honest. Where are we in the larger picture? And do you have a sense that we are moving in the right direction? With respect to the health of the planet yeah. and people's relationships to it, these are, these are very troubling times. And at the same time, there are a great many inspiring efforts underway. Again, I'm always inspired by the fact that people throughout the world are trying to make a positive difference. And they are starting where they live. So I need to reinforce that again, as terrible as many kinds of things are right now with human-induced change on a scale that we've never seen before, resulting in desertification, you know, drought, famine, loss of species. The biodiversity loss is extraordinary. To stay sane <laughs> I mean, in the face of all of these challenges, I reinforce again the importance of doing our best where we live to try to nourish and maintain healthy environments, and at the same time to be aware of the needs far beyond us. Um, I think though that balance, we need to rewrite the balance, and I believe it starts with where we live. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cheryl Charles, and that you will visit Nature For All at their website, natureforall.global. If you enjoyed this conversation with Cheryl, please share with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow Nature Revisited on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and at our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N Productions. Com. The music for this episode is This Rush of Beauty and the Sense of Order by Ben Cosgrove. Nature Revisited is produced 
by Stefan Van Orden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, do remember, we are nature. Thank you.